Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, which says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What a great encouragement this verse is to all believers. Paul is showing us a mystery that we will not all sleep, but some of us will be instantly changed. Some of us will be on earth when the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds. And at that moment, at that last trump, we will be changed into our resurrection bodies and we will be in Christ's presence. What a great promise that we have to look forward to. I believe that we may be in the last days. I believe now is the time that we need to do all that we can for the kingdom of God because the time may be short before the Lord Jesus comes. The Bible tells us to occupy till he comes. Let's occupy.
During this time of COVID, we are unable to schedule some of the in-studio interviews with our missionaries. Dr. Albrecht has taken this time to present a series of studies to the staff and missionaries which are broadcast around the world. Please join us as he speaks to the staff in this series of messages. God bless. It's a wonderful booklet. It's, it's just done so well. And it talks about the seven words that John uses that personalizes Jesus Christ with God the Father. It's really done very well, and I recommend anyone reading it. I am going to introduce it and maybe talk about one or two words today. The pamphlet starts off with a really good, really good illustration. It shows the equality between the Father and the Son. It starts back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. And if you remember that context, that's Moses at the burning bush. And remember, he had to take his shoes off because he's on holy ground. And God reveals himself personally. Now, in the Old Testament, you find a lot of words for God, a lot of attributes about God. Elohim, which is the plural ending for God, which gives an indication of a trinity or more than one. But you have other words that Lord God Almighty, the powerful God, or the Lord God of hosts, the Lord that's over armies, or the God that provides. These are all attributes of God. In Exodus 3.14, God revealed himself as a personal God. And he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am who sent you, sent me to you. So here we have this I am, the I am. He disclosed his personal name. You realize that names were really, really important. But also it would allow you to have control over someone. And this illustration is like this. Uh, I have a kid, you know, I have a son. My son, I have a Brian and a Tim. Well, when I say, Tim, come here, I have control over him because I'm using his personal name and I'm telling him to come to me. And so you have control. When you give away your personal name, you're giving people control over yourself. And so that's sort of the idea here that God has disclosed himself to mankind, disclosed himself to Moses. He's the great I am. And then in the New Testament, you find the Lord Jesus Christ uh, starting to use I am, and he's using himself to show that he is this same God that was in the Old Testament that Jewish people were worshiping all these years, the great I am who I am, and now he is I am. And he talks about over and over again, he keeps saying that the Father and he is one, and so it shows unity of the Godhead. And so it's really important. And it's interesting in the Old Testament, if you study these things, in the Old Testament, there's just four consonants. It's, it's actually Y-H-W-H in English, and there's no vowels. And of course, the copiers, the scribes that, that copy scripture, they never put the vowels on that name because you weren't supposed to pronounce it because it was a personal covenant name of God. And you would never use that name because you'd always use it in vain. So they never put the vowels on so you couldn't actually say the name out loud. And so they would never copy that name in the text. And so they would always use the word adunti, which means Lord, in place of saying God's name. And of course, that's how we get Jehovah. You know, they take the vowels from adunti. They put it on those four radicals, the four, four letters of the Hebrew or consonants in the Hebrew language, and you get Jehovah. But the Jehovah is not God's personal name. The name is really Yahweh. That's his personal name. And when you use it, you better use it carefully 
because that's the personal name of God and you better not misuse it and use it in vain. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This month, we're offering a wonderful, wonderful booklet entitled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This booklet is really rich in that it describes the prophecy from the Old Testament. Then it gives the Old Testament reference and the verse. And then it gives the New Testament fulfillment that Jesus did during his ministry. And so it's just a wonderful companion to your Bible study as you see the wonderful fulfillments of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. There are a hundred of them listed here. It's a wonderful opportunity to see how God has used men and women over the years to prophesy about the coming Messiah, and those prophecies have been accurately and literally fulfilled in the New Testament. And it really lets you see how God has preserved his word over all these years. And we know if all the prophecies of Jesus coming and his first advent are true, we know that the prophecies for the second advent, which are many, many more, will also be fulfilled literally just like the first hundred were fulfilled. So to get your copy, you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231, and just say 100 prophecies and we'll be sure to forward your copy ASAP. Thank you. Sunlight, sunlight of love, heavenly sunlight.
Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman, and it's a continuation of his Revelation series. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we begin our study of Revelation chapter 12. We are quickly reminded that since the fall of Lucifer, there has been an unending struggle between Satan and his fallen angels, and God and his angelic forces. We learn about this in Job chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28. These all show us that Satan was in a personal conflict with God. The battle was between Satan and God. Mankind became involved in that struggle when he yielded to Satan's temptation in the Garden of Eden and has been in that battle ever since. As this battle continues today, we need to be reminded that every person in the world who does not know the Lord is free game for the evil one and his emissaries. Those who do know the Lord are still in the midst of the battle. Some have victory, while others who do not allow the Spirit of God to direct their lives can often be influenced or even controlled by this evil one. The conflict still rages after all of these years. At the same time this struggle is going on, there is another one taking place between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. Both of these are the leaders of their angels. Michael deals with the good angels, while Satan leads the fallen angels or demons. The Bible does not have too much to say about this, but we learn a little from Daniel chapter 10, where Gabriel could not come to Daniel and to his aid because he was hindered by the princes or demonic powers of Persia. Michael had to come to his aid before he could complete his mission to go to Daniel. There are also reference to this angelic warfare in the book of Jude, as well as Ephesians chapter 6. In Revelation 12, we find the angelic battle will reach its climax during the seven-year tribulation period. There will be, as it were, two battles going on at the same time, one on earth and another one in heaven. The struggle on earth will be between demons and angels as they seek to control, guide, and possess mankind. The other war will be where good and evil angels fight on the very battleground of heaven itself. However, back in chapter 11, verse 15, we get a little glimpse of the final outcome of both of these battles, where we read, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. As we begin our study in chapter 12, we need to know that this chapter through chapter 14 are an interlude and are not chronological. They will cover the same things, some of which we have already examined, but from an entirely different perspective. In chapters 12 and 13, 
we will see unfolding seven different characters of the tribulation. There is the woman, the dragon, the male child, Michael, Israel's remnant, the beast out of the sea, and the beast from the land. In the first two verses of chapter 12, we find depicted a woman who is about to have a child. In verse 1, we are told there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. I've never seen a woman like this, have you? So what is the Bible talking about? First of all, we have to deal with the word wonder. In the Greek, it is the word used for a sign. This woman is a sign of an important truth that will follow. The Roman Catholic Church believes this woman is Mary. But if you look at verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness for three and one-half years. The woman is given wings to flee into the desert for three and a half years in verse 14. So we can be assured that this cannot be right, for this never happened to Mary. Some Protestant churches hold that the woman is the church, but the churches did not produce the male child who is Christ. The Christian science doctrine is that the woman in, is uh, Mary Baker Eddy. None of these views are right. So then who or what is this woman? The answer is quite clear from Scripture. The woman is Israel. It was through Israel the male child or Christ came into the world. How do we know that? Let's look at Romans 9 verses 4 and 5 where we read of Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jew who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promise, whose are the fathers, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all. God blessed forever. Amen. This passage makes it very clear that the male child came to Israel, who is the woman of Revelation chapter 12. In the Old Testament, Israel is likened to a woman many times. She is called an adulterous wife. In the book of Hosea, for example, the prophet had to marry an unfaithful woman to illustrate just how unfaithful Israel had been as she turned from God to the idol worship that was practiced by all the nations around her. Next, we see how she was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown with twelve stars. This takes us right back to a dream of Joseph, as recorded in Genesis 37. There is the sun, moon, and stars. It says it would be under him. It happened when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt and rose to a leadership position in the court of Pharaoh. When his brethren came to get food in the famine that fell, befell the land, Joseph's eleven brothers, who formed the, later the twelve tribes of Israel, along with him, were brought under the authority of Joseph. This again gives us proof that the woman in Revelation 12 is Israel. In verse 2 of Revelation 12, we learn that the woman travailed, being in pain, to bring forth the male child. Israel suffered much as a people before the male child, the Messiah, was born. She had been conquered by the Babylonians, then the Medes and the Persians, 
then the Greeks, and finally the Romans before he came the first time. Could this possibly be prophetic as well? For that nation will go through the tribulation period of seven long years before he returns to take the earth back from Satan's domination. In verse 3, we are introduced to the second persons of these three chapters, Satan. He is described as a great red dragon. Red is usually used to describe warfare or bloodshed. Verse 9 makes it very clear who the dragon is. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So it is very clear that the dragon of verse 3 is Satan. Also back in verse 3, we read that the dragon has seven heads and ten horns, and has seven crowns on his head. To understand the meaning of this, we must turn to Daniel 7, verses 24 to 29, where we learn that the ten horns are ten kings who will come into power in the end times. Out of these ten kings or leaders will arise the Antichrist, who will become a great world power. The seven heads of verse 3 could be seven forms of government out of which the Antichrist comes. There are a lot of differing views on this, so we will leave this here. We learn more about Satan when we read of his tail drawing a third of the stars out of heaven. Angels are called stars in Job 34.7. Lucifer is also called the son of the morning, which means day star. The meaning of this is quite simple. For when Satan fell because of rebelling against God, one-third of the angels fell with him. Both came to the earth and have been the major source of trouble since then. Satan, at the present time, is called the ruler of this world. He and his demonic forces are free to work on this earth, and mankind has been dragged into this since the fall of Adam. When we read that Satan stood before the woman who was about to give birth to this male child, it is telling us that Satan did everything in his power to keep the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, from being born. That all started way back in the Garden of Eden, where we are told that Satan would go after the seed of the woman. He did his best to cut off the royal line through which our Savior would come. At one point, that line was saved by one seven-year-old little boy being hidden to escape death. Though Satan time and time again tried to cut off that line, God prevailed and that line was preserved. In the last part of verse 4, we are told that Satan was ready to devour the child who was Jesus as soon as he was born. This brings us to the Christmas story, where Herod decreed to kill all the male babies under two years of age. He didn't stop here, but tempted him after Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying. He tried to get the people of Nazareth to throw Jesus to his death off a cliff. He tried to get the Pharisees and scribes to stone him. Then 
He had him falsely tried and convicted and sent to the cross. But with hindsight, we can say that was the biggest mistake that Satan ever made. It didn't change God's plan at all. His death on the cross and his resurrection that followed provided the means of salvation for the world. We will close out our message today by looking at just the first half of Revelation 12, verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know the mother of Jesus was Mary, but in our passage, the woman is Israel. The Savior, Messiah, had to come from Israel as well as the tribe of Judah. He also had to be from a royal lineage in order to become the ruler of the nations. That, however, did not take place at his first coming as many expected, but it will in the future when he returns to this earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We have seen today that Satan is a very powerful and has a multitude of fallen angels or demons as well that together have brought about all the problems this world has known. Just as they tried to thwart God's program for the ages, they play utter havoc on the world today. They do their best to keep people from hearing the gospel. Then when a person does hear the gospel, the temptations come so that they will not believe it. Did you ever think why there's so much persecution of Christianity today? No other religion has faced anything like this. Guess who's behind all of this? Finally, as a believer, don't you face temptations every day like I do? We certainly do. And where does that come from? You know as well as I do, and it doesn't come from God. But we must remember that we can have victory over the onslaught of temptations that come our way, the same way Jesus did. He always resorted to two things. He answered the temptations by reminding Satan of the Word of God and by coming to the Father in prayer. Beloved, nothing has changed. You and I can only overcome temptation by the same means, by the Word of God and prayer. I trust you are doing that in your daily life. trust the message you just heard will be meaningful to you throughout this next week and you can apply it to your own life. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave a gift. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's a holy God, a righteous God, and can't be in the presence of sin. And so there had to be an appeasement to appease the justice of God. And the Lord Jesus is the one who did that for you, and he did that for me. He died there in your place because you and I and the whole world, for the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done bad things, things that we're ashamed of, things that we shouldn't have done, that we know we were wrong. And so because of those things, we need to have a Savior, and Jesus is a Savior. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He's with you all the time. He guides and directs the thoughts and intents of your heart and helps you to live a better life. 
If you went to booklet, The 100 Prophecies, which I think would be a great encouragement to you and a great blessing to your Bible study, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also hear past broadcasts at www.missiongo.org, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. And please continue to remember us in your prayers, and I trust that God will continue to bless your life and go with you and meet your needs throughout the next week.